Listener Production. G'day and welcome to Behind the Hits. I'm Brendan Anakin, bringing you the inside story on some of music's most iconic songs featuring stories from the artists who made them. Crowded House and Powderfinger are two of Australia's most loved bands, with numerous songs from both bands going on to become cultural classics. In this episode of Behind the Hits, we'll examine some of those songs, kicking off with a track that Neil Finn believes is one of the best songs he's ever written, Don't Dream It's Over. Released in 1986, Don't Dream It's Over was the fourth single from the self-titled debut album for Crowded House, and without a doubt, it was the album's most successful. To this day, it remains the band's biggest international hit, helped along by the fact that the song reached number two on Billboard's Hot 100 in the US. The song went number one in New Zealand and cracked the top 10 in Australia. Not bad for a track with humble beginnings. Here's former crowded house drummer, the late, great Paul Hester. Don't Dream It's Over was a song that was, you know, just a little sort of throwaway demo that Neil had done and he played the drums on his electric heater and he'd done a few things. And, you know, that ends up becoming... It's an amazing song. Neil maintains he doesn't remember the context around why he wrote Don't Dream It's Over. It literally just fell out of him. And that's an odd concept, even for Neil. The whole song very rarely falls out in one go. It does happen. You get, you know, songwriting is a mystery to me still and I can't really explain or even to myself how it works and what mood I'm best in to, to write. But you get a melody and usually there's a phrase or two comes with it. And then it's a question of making the song fit together beyond that because as soon as you leave it the first time you've played it it's hard to get back into that original groove you had and there's certain songs which finishing the lyrics for is just a grind you know it's like you've got to just work through and you can have one line which eludes you for weeks just the sort of the key line that's going to finish the thing off and then suddenly it'll click into place the day before you're going to do the vocal or an hour before you're going to do the vocal or something so there's no rules to it and a lot of it is hard work crowded house's much loved classic track don't dream it's over was a song neil finn wrote on his brother Tim's piano. A piano Tim was given by a legendary Australian radio personality, Barry Bissell. Got some good thrashing. It's the piano on um, on Weather With You. There's a little tinkly piano. That's Barry Bissell's piano. He probably got it back now. The original Crowded House lineup comprised Neil Finn, Nick Seymour and Paul Hester. And for a brief period in the early 90s, Neil's older brother Tim joined the band. The reason that Neil went to Tim and asked him to join was really because of the, the songwriting that they did. They sat down with each other for two weeks and wrote 16 songs or something. And that was pretty much Weather With You. Um, you know, a lot of these songs all came out of that period. And they'd never really done that before. After years of being together in split ends, never really sat down, just written together. So that was an incredibly you know, happy and wonderful experience for them to share. And the logical extension was was getting together. We didn't have time to do a Finn Brothers record and a Crowded House record. So it was really logistics that threw it all together. And, and me and, you know, Nick took us a, a while, but we got our head around it. And when, when we were all into it, we were really into it. Tim and Neil had been working on songs as part of a Finn Brothers project, but... When Crowded House needed extra material for their upcoming album, Neil convinced Tim to let the band use some Finn Brothers songs. The trade-off? Tim joined the band. Coming back together, the main thing for me was the writing, because Neil can be like a critical ear to my songs, which I sometimes need, you know, quite often need, and uh, it's rare to find somebody whose opinion you can trust, you know, and you can start chucking things out, and then you get to the real, you know, the real good stuff. Well, it was almost like nothing had happened a couple of days later because we were already embarked on these songs. Uh, we had started work on them. We just kept working on them, really, and 
Paul and Nick were just around a little more often <laughs> because it was now a crowded house. But um, it didn't really feel like much had changed in many ways. It was why, in a way, it was a difficult concept to come to grips with because on nuts and bolts level, nothing did change. It wasn't what, what any of us really expected, but, it, yeah, it's, when it happened, it seemed like it had always been. It's a funny paradox in a way. Like, I, I didn't expect to ever be in another group after Split Ends. I thought, well, that's my group. That's, you know, now I'm a solo artist and I have to go off now and be on my own and be more responsible and all this, you know. Because being in a band, to me, it sort of perpetuates your adolescence way beyond when, you know, is appropriate. And uh, it doesn't have to be that way, but there is that element of it, you know, going out on the road like... Uh, bunch of hoodlums. The resulting album Woodface eventually dropped in July 91, and its most successful track was the Neil and Tim collaboration, Weather With You. Temple of Low Men was the band's second album, released in 1988. It was a darker and more introspective follow-up to the band's energetic debut, but still showcased the incredible songwriting talent of Neil Finn, a talent even he finds hard to describe. I sort of rely on my songs running away from me because my initial ideas are almost in always um, random lines that fall out as the result of jamming really with myself and suddenly I realise I'm singing a line and, and I recognise that there's something good about it, write it down and try and spit as much out without thinking as I can and at that point then I want it to run away with itself, you know, I look at it and I go how am I going to make that into something with a thread and it's chasing it down. So I, I don't think, I think my songs always turn out to be surprising for me. I never really know what I'm writing about until it's finished. And sometimes not until a few years later where I recognise that there's a, a hidden meaning in one of the lines that I probably wouldn't have wanted to um, admit to at the time. The first of Neil's songs to be released from the album was the iconic ballad, Better Be Home Soon. It's written from a woman's, well, not necessarily from a woman's point of view, but written uh, from my wife's point of view, really. And it was just um, a very quick song. It was written in the morning, one morning when I got out of bed, and it just relates to that sort of that uh, feeling of getting to the of somebody getting to the end of their tether with somebody who's always away, you know, and trying to maintain some kind of a relationship with somebody who's not there. And that's uh, a slight warning. And uh, I, I think that the line that I'm most happy with in that song is the, uh, you know, it would cause me pain if we were to end it, but I could start again. You can depend on it. You know, it's like. There's a bit of strength there. It's not like somebody's saying, oh, you know, for God's sake, don't leave me. I'm hopeless without you. It's saying, listen, pull your weight, Buster. Well, I've got a, a wonderful family who I like spending time with, but unfortunately I'm not able to a lot of the time. But, uh, and, I mean, besides that, once the song's written, it's really, to me, it ceases to become about myself. It's just a song, and you could apply it to any number of situations. I'm sure lots of people are in that boat, whether they're in a relationship with a travelling salesman or with a musician. It's, you know, all the same thing, really. We've been taking you behind the hits of Crowded House, and now it's time to turn our attention to another iconic Aussie act, the boys from Brizzy, Powderfinger. My Happiness was the first single from Powderfinger's fourth album, the iconic Odyssey No. 5 an album many believe to be the band's finest work. One of the great curiosities about My Happiness is the public perception of the song versus its actual meaning. Lead singer Bernard Fanning wrote the lyrics as a truthful reflection on the life of a touring musician and used the song as a way of communicating how he felt being away from home, living in and out of suitcases and the loneliness that can come as a result. It's stuff that you're not ready to say. But it's okay to sing it because it's got this disguise. It's cloaked in art or whatever, you know. You know, when it's raw and honest, that's an important part of that, I think, being able to say things within a song that you, you don't ordinarily say to people out loud. But then again, some prefer not to let the truth get in the way of interpretation, with the song having become a staple at many Australian weddings. 
something Bernard feels is highly inappropriate. My happiness at weddings is still a mystery to me. It's one of the saddest songs we've ever written and it's about your happiness disappearing, not about getting married. But no matter how the song was interpreted, no one could deny it was a hit. The song peaked at number four on the ARIA chart, making it the band's highest charting single. And in 2001, the song won the ARIA single of the year and the APRA song of the year. Guitarist Darren Middleton puts the song's magic down to its simplicity. If you pull a song apart in a songwriting sense, it's very simple, it's predictable, but it's a little bit adventurous. And the key to it is kind of the story and the melody that sort of Burn has put to it, and also the kind of the guitar hook that Ian came up with at the start of the song. On Behind the Hits, we're taking you on a journey behind some of the songs that have endeared Powderfinger to audiences far and wide. Songs like My Happiness. That's a song that just... We played live for a number of years and it was always great, and then we... We did that sort of stereotypical band thing where they just, we've had enough, we're not going to play that song, we refuse to play it at any shows. So we did that for a few years. We tried to, we'd already tried to reinvent it to satisfy ourselves, you know, because you, you kind of, you're playing for yourself as much as everyone else. And then towards the last few years of the band's life, we, we went back to it because people just loved it. You know, they, and that, that sing-along thing that people have going is just, it's a pretty amazing, special thing to be a part of. So... We kind of fell in love with the song again just in the last few years of the band's life, you know, playing it live. It seemed only fitting that when their Sunset's Farewell Tour hit Brisbane in 2010, the band chose My Happiness as the last song of their very last show. Released almost a year after the band's 1998 album Internationalist, Passenger was the album's fourth single, cracking the Australian Top 40 and winning the APRA Award for Song of the Year in 2000. Despite the song's success, Darren Middleton says the song ended up quite differently to how he'd first imagined it. It was a kind of a guitar, an acoustic song that I brought into the band that everyone dug. Bernie took to it straight away and sort of started putting his lyrics and melody to it. And then we kind of rocked it up a bit. And I, look, I didn't really love the way it was going because I had envisioned it to be a little more... Um, less rock and a bit more acoustic based, but it ended up where it did. And we got a few friends involved, the girls from Titus, um, they're a three piece Melbourne girl group and no longer together. But so they added these great vocals at the end and we got a bit of brass involved, anything to kind of give it a bit of pizzazz. Um, our producer at the time, Nick Dadia, he really liked it. So he was he was pushing it and gunning for it. And it, yeah, it just kind of, it, it had been, it's became a staple of the band for a number of years because it won song of the year and it sort of it did quite well for the band a lot of people connected to it as you know the song itself so um although you know there's always a song that a band member has that he doesn't really look forward to playing live and for me it was probably that song and i know it's different songs for other members of the band but uh yeah still every time we played it live you know just people sing it and it's you know you can't deny that it's people are drawn to a song sometimes. Maybe just not the guy who started writing it. With previous albums like Internationalist and Odyssey No. 5 leaning more towards acoustic-based songs, Powderfinger's fifth studio album, Vulture Street, released in 2003, saw the band return to their rock roots. The idea was to make an album that was not as atmospheric and not as kind of sweet. The idea was to make it something that you could maybe either bang your head to or dance to or something like that. I suppose it's not really up to us to judge whether we achieve that or not. That's other people can work that out. We'd certainly did the best we could. 
On My Mind was released as the first single from the album and left no doubt in anyone's mind about the band's intended direction. With um, Vulture Street, we wanted to kind of have a bit more of a driving rock sound. You know, there'd be, be band strings, there'd be no strings on the record, all this sort of stuff. And we were trying to work out what sort of rock, how to, how to make it feel like a rock band, us feel like a rock band again. And On My Mind was just one of the early songs that we'd been sitting on a bass riff for quite a while. And then I just, I had started playing that the, the verse riff just over the top. It was completely different. And, you know, again, it's one of those moments where everyone in the band's head just kind of switches over here and goes, oh, okay, that, whatever that is, let's sit on that now for a while. So we, we would sit on it. Bernard would start getting some ideas and parts would develop. And, you know, when you're on a roll, things can happen quickly. So it, you know, it kind of all came together pretty quickly. And we borrowed a bit of um, Bowie's Suffragette City as an intro for the song. And uh, yeah, it's pretty simple. You know, the recording of that song and that album was just guitars turned up as loud as they can go. And we wanted a bit of an urgent kind of vibe to the song and the record itself. So we ended up finishing most of our sets, live sets with that song, actually, up until, man, up until the very end, I think we still finished with it. Just we didn't have that many up-tempo songs, so <laughs> it was good. Ever since its release, On My Mind has gone on to become a staple of pub rock bands. And for anyone wanting to learn guitar, those opening chords are a pretty good place to start. I'm Brendan Anakin, and you've been listening to Behind the Hits. This episode was written and produced by Dave Carter, audio production by Mike Santos and Dan King. Listener.